Welcome to the Stay Ready Real Estate Podcast, where we stay ready so you don't have to get ready. My name is Emeka, and I'll be interviewing a variety of professionals in the real estate industry to help you get closer to buying your next investment. At the end of each podcast, I'll give you three actionable steps to help you get 1% closer to getting that next property. My goal with this podcast is to show the world people like you and me can buy real estate and build wealth. Today on the podcast, we have Tom. Tom is a family man with passions for healthcare and real estate. He enjoys spending quality time with his wife and three daughters. Tom is a seasoned underwriter specializing in multifamily real estate investments, excelling at evaluating risk, assessing investment opportunities, and providing invaluable insights to investors and stakeholders. Tom is the CEO of Real Sense Organized, offering dependable bookkeeping services for long and short-term rentals to reduce stress, save time, and save money. He is also the COO of Equity Flip, financial partners for flippers that cannot obtain funding by themselves. Let's listen to Tom. All right, Tom, you want to tell the world a little bit about who you are and what you do? Yes, sir. Good morning. So, Tom Latuga from Buffalo, New York, uh, pharmacist by day, real estate investor on the nights and weekends and have expanded that to other business venture opportunities as well. Let's see, been a pharmacist for 14 years, uh, real estate investor for about four now, and not too common, I actually started investing long distance first, mostly to separate myself from the tenants and toilets and, and you know all the fears that, the, that come with investing in real estate, and that way just kind of let the professionals handle it and then uh, slowly changed that up and started investing in my backyard and then now as i'm evolving into commercial real estate specifically that has uh, gone back to the long distance model just not to close off any opportunities for myself cool so a pharma pharmacist to a real estate investor what got you into real estate i'm sure those you know those two industries don't collide too often yeah so it was actually a healthcare specific issue. So COVID specifically is really what jump started it. Now, background to that though, I was always interested in personal finance and investing and, and more related to the W2 job. And then all of my friends were just talking about real estate and this and that, and, and things were getting you know extra exciting between the years of 2015 and I guess 2019. And so I started to study real estate and thinking, oh, I'll dabble in this at some point. But then COVID hit. And as a healthcare professional, when COVID at the time specifically, we didn't know what was going to happen. And being a middle management kind of position that I'm in, I was scared. And I thought, you know, even though I value myself as a, as a good employee and, and, you know, contribute to the healthcare system and, and things of that nature, I knew that middle management is the first thing to get cut, regardless of the consequences. And so I was just like, I only have one stream of income. You know, this is potentially dangerous for myself and my family. You know, I got to be able to put food on the table. And so, and there was just a lot of unknowns with COVID as well at the time. And, you know, if you're not in the healthcare profession, you think, well, you know, you're busy, like things must be great. And it's like, no, like things were just an absolute mess at the time. Nobody knew what COVID costs. Nobody knew how to even bill for COVID. You know, we didn't know this travel nursing thing was going to become a, you know, a huge explosion. And so I panicked and I was just like, you know what, I got to hit the ground running. Thankfully, interest rates were, were bottom, you know, rock bottom <laughs> rates. And that was definitely something to take advantage of. Cool. Was real estate the only thing you were looking into? Was that like your only other option of income or did you have like a deciding factor between three options? At the time, 
real estate was the next step. Fast forward to now, I am realizing that, you know, business acquisition or, or starting, whether some people call it a side hustle where you're actively working in the business or just entrepreneurial efforts where you're buying the business and running the business as opposed to working inside of it, that is definitely now on my radar as well. So let's see. So fast forward to now, besides picking up some, some real estate, I've also done some kind of vertically integrated or, or real estate adjacent opportunities. So a, a partner of, of mine and I, we, we fund other people's real estate adventures through something called Equity Flip. And then kind of more of a solo entrepreneurial venture, I started a bookkeeping service for landlords and that's called Real Sense Organized. Cool, I'll put, yeah, real estate was the next option and right now you're looking into business acquisitions. So what, what's the long-term goal for you? I know real estate's one of the main things for you. So do you have a numbers goal? How many properties you want? How many doors you want? Or a certain number for income a month? Yeah, so I'm actually not excited. I, I, I don't like to measure in quantity. I know that's kind of a loaded answer, but you know, someone could tell you I have a thousand doors but you don't actually know what that truly means for them. Quality is also a very large component of that. You know, a thousand class D war zone type properties is very different than a thousand class A multi-million dollar, you know, set, middle of a urban city kind of, you know, uh, just development opportunity. So, you know, you, you could just have very large swings in what that truly means. So I think for the individual, whoever's listening to this, it's really more about maybe a specific dollar cash flow goal or just kind of work-life balance goal. And so for me specifically, I, I'm still climbing that mountain where I'd like to just replace my income at the moment or at least supplement that income. And so, you know, that, that, that's, a, that's a work in progress and that's definitely a marathon, not a sprint. So I think once, once I can get to that kind of opportunity and reach that goal, then we'll kind of see where that goes. You know, life's going to look probably drastically different at that point, whether that's, you know, my job, my family, my wife's job. So it's, that, that, that's, that's my immediate focus at the moment. I love it. And what, what are the main benefits that you see with real estate besides replacing your income? Well, there's definitely a lot of life flexibility, whether that's physically acquiring real estate long distance, as I've said, I, I started with, you know, that could be vacation homes where you're kind of traveling all over. And not only is it a, a potential tax deduction, but you're also, you just, you know, you can, you can do whatever you're doing to make income and, and traveling the world or just, you know, enjoying life or, you know, experiencing those opportunities. Eventually, I think once it's, you know, abundant enough to, to make sense and I don't need the income anymore, I mean, there's definitely opportunities in life just to give back, whether that's giving forward to the, to, to the next newer investor, charities. I mean, there's just so many different ways to give back to the world. With real estate, there's many, many options. You just mentioned Airbnb or, you know, traveling or whatnot. But you also mentioned that you invested not from where you're from, long distancing. I can, what, what was that first investment for you? What position were you in? Was it a flip? Were you an LP? Can you go into details on that? Sure. Yeah. So I was looking, so being in New York, I was looking, I was not excited about the area, more from a landlord tenant relationship perspective, you know, the laws and just how both parties are treated and I was looking for opportunities where there was a bit more business friendly environment. 
Some people will kind of label that as a as a red state. Some people will label that as a more conservative or maybe Republican political kind of a spectrum. And so I was looking more in the Midwest at the time. Again, cash flow was kind of my priority, regardless of, of, of the uh, type of property. And so I was looking in the Midwest. Cash flow was very abundant. Property appreciation is not as much of a, a factor at the time. And so I was looking at Arkansas. It's probably one of the top three of, of my goal at the time. And I started long distance, single family. Uh, it was very popular in that area that I was looking in. And I liked the argument that when you have one tenant in a single family, they take all responsibility for utilities, so you don't have to worry about anything staying in the landlord's name. That can be a problem with some multifamily type properties, depending on the situation. The long distance in terms of utilizing the professionals, so the property management, you know, they handle the day-to-day. -day. You can't drive 1,200 miles and, you know, go fix the toilet yourself. And then... How I acquired the property was I actually tapped into a home equity line of credit. So I was using essentially somebody else's money, the bank's money. Again, you know, rates were rock bottom at the time. And I purchased the home cash. It was about $75,000. And so that made the purchase much easier, much more aggressive offer just to say, here, here's a cash offer. Don't have to worry about lending terms or anything like that. You know, waiting for someone else's approval. It was literally just wire the money, wait for title to clear, and you're closed in I think this was super quick. This was like literally six or seven days, almost oh, wow. to the point where I was like, I don't know if the money, I can get the money there <laughs> fast enough. That, that happened really, that happened very, very quickly. So bought it for 75, put about, estimated about 20,000, 25,000 in expenses to kind of fix the place up, you know, both interior, exterior work, new flooring, kitchen, you know, the, the bathrooms, the usual stuff and got it appraised. And this is kind of more of the, the Burr method that, that a lot of people talk about in the real estate world. And so got it appraised, went back to the bank and said, hey, you know, this appraised for $135,000. Uh, they offered a 75% loan to value and essentially got a check for, I believe, ninety-five to somewhere between ninety-five dollars and $97,000, if I remember correctly. Um, so if you do that math, I almost refied every last dollar that I put into this. So essentially a free rental property, spitting out a little bit of cash flow, appreciating, you know, initially forced appreciation, but that will continue as years go on. Principal pay down on that loan that's com not coming from my pocket. And then that's when I got bit by the real estate bug. I was like, okay, this was scary the first time around, but now it's like, I can do that again. And so then I did it two more times within the span of six or eight months. And so I just bought, th you know, th three single families, boom, boom, boom did the exact same thing I just described, put a little bit of my extra money into it to fix it up, get appraised, go back to the bank, refile my money out, and just planted these little seeds. And they're going to grow into these bigger trees as, as the years go. And, and the rest is kind of history. That's amazing. So during COVID, you know, you found real estate. That was a way to make an extra income. And then you also mentioned you, it was a little bit scary for you. And then once you did the deal and you realized how amazing it was, you, you got the bug. What was scary for you? Were you worried about something particular? I'm, I'm assuming you weighed the risk. What risk were you afraid of? So part of it was the distance, you know, dealing with a new established network, you know, trusting the people that were what I would consider boots on the ground. You know, I, I definitely took a lot of 
word of mouth recommendations, referrals, things of that nature. But you know, you're sending large amounts of money across the country, and it's you can't easily just walk down the street and go check on it. And so, there's a lot of you know potentially a lot of risks. You know, maybe some of that is fear of in my own head. But you know, even just dealing with the contractors, you're you're sending you know relatively large checks compared to the to value of the property of you know ten thousand dollars at a time uh, you know in phases and draws and you just never know when they're going to get up and walk away but you know you 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 trust but verify you rely on independent third parties to to check that work as well besides just yourself so whether that's a, you know a different individual different professional whatever the case may be in this case i was using my property manager which had no relationship to the contractor and you know they would tell me that i would ask for updates i would say hey this is what I'm paying for next. This is what's supposed to be done. Can you please confirm, check on the property? And the property manager also had aligned interests with myself as the owner because their job, as soon as the rehab is done, is to actually rent out the property. And so therefore, if the quality of work is not done to their standard, they look bad as well. And so again, where you know our interests are aligned, they want a great result as well. So that way they don't have to worry about finding a tenant and, and, and doing that thing. So Trust but verify, relying on your network, making sure not to put all your eggs in one basket, whether that's, you know, trust, you know, that trusted party or, or what have you, you know, those all in one companies that are out there, you just got to be a little bit more judicious in your, in your, in your trust, just because, you know, when, when they all work for the same person, they could all equally screw you. So you just got to be careful there. But yeah, so fear in terms of distance, fear in terms of just, it's just new, so it's uncomfortable. And then fear in terms of sending large amounts of money just you know to kind of strangers so cool so let's say i'm listening from california and i can't afford where i am and i really i really like kansas city but i don't know anyone in kansas city so how am i going to find that person to trust so i can you know buy for cash flow like you did yeah so this is this is exactly what i did i went on facebook so or any kind of social media platform but facebook is very popular for groups and and you know small communities and i literally just typed in the city, real estate investor, and you, know, you get two to five hits probably of different groups of, of types of investors operating in that area that you're interested in. So Kansas City, real estate investor, and see what groups pop up. Join all those. Tell them you're a long distance investor. And you say, hey, I'm looking, you know, start at the beginning. I'm looking for a real estate agent that works with investors. Who do you recommend? And you will get a list of everybody and their uncle, you know, dropped in those comments. But Take note of who gets listed. And you're going to see the same names pop up over and over and over again. Those are at the top of the list. Call those people. And I spent probably over 100 hours networking over the phone. And you, you just kind of come up with some interview questions, have some conversations, see what feels natural. You know, some of them are going to BS you. Some of them are just going to, you know, give it to you straight and kind of just depending on what you want to hear. And, um, you know, I, I'd kind of keep that list going. Never remove anybody from the list per se. You might want to just move them down the list because you never know when your favorite is going to ghost you. They're going to disappear. Life's going to change. Whatever the case may be, strategy might change. And then I ask them for the next referral. So if you're talking to an agent, hey, I'm looking for a property manager or I'm looking for a contractor to work with, you know, that can fix up these properties. Who do you recommend? And again, do the same thing. You know, you get your laundry list, the real movers and shakers. A lot of them know each other. You know, investing is a very, very small world. Uh, especially when you get down to the city level and you'll get those same names over and over again and then rinse and repeat interview 
whittle it down to what you know whatever your criteria are and the rest is kind of history so how long should it take me to get to know someone because i've seen on facebook posts you know people are literally asking for partners and kind of just meeting and giving money so how long would you recommend to talk to somebody before you get into bed with them because once you're in an investment you know you sign that legal paperwork you know you're y'all are in it together your money is tied so for you and how long well let me ask you this how long did it take you to trust the people that you uh worked with sure well i, th- I think we're talking about two slightly different things um you know the, the the process that I'm describing is more about establishing kind of just business relationships where you're hiring someone for a job, and that can change. You know, one from one job to another. Where whereas you're mentioning specifically forming a business partnership, where you're literally getting married, you're getting you know from a business perspective, you're getting into bed with somebody, mm-hmm. and so I think what you're describing requires a whole lot more trust and interaction. You know, face-to-face meetings, I, I, w- I would suggest. Face-to-face meetings, you know, getting to know these people, they're intimate, intimately actually sharing with each other personal details, both financially, emotionally, personally. You know, are your, are your interests aligned? Are your goals aligned? You know, is their marriage on the rocks? Are they going to get divorced? In which case, you know, you're opening up yourself a huge can of worms that you then have to deal with. But, you know, for my, for my initial long-distance stuff, you know, what 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 would be no more than just one business transaction. You know, you definitely want to get comfortable, but at some point you just kind of have to, kind of like hiring, you know, anybody. You just you, you just need to roll the dice a little bit, you know, vet, trust, but verify. You know, what do the reviews say? What do other people say? You know, do you have any other personal relationships with people where you trust their, their input? You know, do you feel like they're being honest with you? And sometimes you'll get surprised. And like I said, some people are just sneaky or, and, and, and they just do things that are unethical. And that will always happen. You know, no matter what we want to tell ourselves. Cool. So you just kind of explain how to trust basically a, a vendor and also trust a future business partner. So you sound like you have plenty of experience. So you want to tell the audience a little bit about your portfolio? Sure. So the between the long distance investments and then I started then purchasing some stuff in my backyard. So I was up to 13 units of my own personal portfolio. I actually then sold a four unit. So I'm actually back down to nine. And then when I sold that one property, I turned that into an LP investment or a limited partnership investment, so like a silent partner, into a 72-unit Class A multifamily apartment building, which is a pretty cool thing to, to experience. And so I have, a, I have a mix of my own stuff. I have you know, a mix of a, a glorified partnership, uh, though I'm just, again, passive, so I'm kind of along for the ride. And then I have a, a business partnership for that um, equity flip that I mentioned briefly earlier, where we fund real estate for for other people that want to flip homes. That that's a business partnership with with a gentleman that I've, you know, met multiple times. We have you know very aligned values. We've known each other for multiple years, and it's to the point where yes, we have our documentation together. But like, I would have no problem giving him my firstborn and saying, here, watch her, and I'll I'll be back. So there's a you know a, a mix of experiences there. So you have, you have, you know, single family homes, you have different streams of income in all different kinds of ways. And you're an LP. So can you explain a little bit about what an LP is and the benefits of that for someone? So there's a lot to unpack here, but for the sake of time, essentially what happens is you're trusting a spot, someone that's called the general partner or the sponsor, you know, someone's kind of leading the project and they're in complete control. 
And that could be a single person, that could be a team of people, depends on how big the project is. And they're they're running they're running the deal. They're running they're they're operating everything from start to finish. And then they bring on uh, the limited partners, which are kind of like the silent partners. They're you know usually the money, and so they will invest along with you. But you're getting on the roller coaster, and when you're on the roller coaster ride, you sit in your seat, and the bar goes down, and you off you go. And when you're on a roller coaster, you can't just get off whenever you want. You have to wait till the end. And so the the sponsor or the GP is the actual roller coaster. You know maybe they're operating the ride. And then you're just in the seat going along for the ride. So when you're busy, when you're maybe not interested in real estate, you know, in terms of the active side of things, you know, you've got a family, you've got a busy W-2, maybe you just, you've got other priorities in life. You'd rather just, you know, be out boating and, or doing hobbies. You know, maybe you're not super busy. You're just not a priority for you where you actually want to just spend time doing it. And so, therefore, you, you know, you kind of join these limited partnership opportunities and, you know, when vetted appropriately and set up correctly, they actually can be more lucrative dollar for dollar versus the actual operating side. Usually the splits are in more favor of the actual investor, the financial investor, as opposed to the operator. And so, therefore, some people just call it mailbox money. You, you send your initial investment in and then... The operator does their thing, they take care of the property, hopefully they're improving value or improving operational efficiency, whatever the case may be. And then they send you distribution checks on a regular basis, you know, as predetermined by the paperwork. And you just get these checks in the mail. And when everything's done, said and done, they sell the property or they refinance or maybe keep it forever. And you know, you have a, a percentage of ownership and and it's in their hands. So I know there's some stocks out there that gets dividends and, you know, to people who don't know much about real estate, but they know about the market, they might say, well, it's the same thing. Could you explain to me why you think that real estate is better? Sure. I, I, I think they're different. I am biased that I, I do like real estate now that I've had a, lots of exposure to it, but I, I think it serves a different purpose. So what's really cool about the real estate component is the fact that you get to use leverage and with very few exceptions real estate is an opportunity where you can borrow money and buy something you usually can't do that with stocks and you know you're not you can't go to go to your local bank tell them hey i'm going to buy a hundred thousand dollars and i'm going to go buy apple stock or you know insert whatever stock you want whatever company and they're just going to laugh at you that makes zero sense. But you go to the same, you go to the same thing. You say, "Hey, I'm going to borrow hundred thousand dollars. I'm going to buy a house." They're like, "Sure, absolutely. Let's sign you up." <laughs> well, they know that it's a, you know, with with appropriate vetting, that it's a, a relatively good investment opportunity for them, in addition to you. And so, real estate is a lot more safe. You know, it's generally considered a hard asset. The bad thing with stocks, especially when we come talk about the public stock market, is that there's can be wild swings up and down. Usually the, the company's interests are relatively short, short-served, you know, short-sighted. They want to make profit this quarter. You know, real estate can be a, is a very long game, where the idea is you want to make money, but you also want to build wealth over a long period of time. And so the the investment horizon is very different. That's why I think they're just different investment opportunities. But if you ever wanted to get really into the weeds, where you're looking at okay, so those dividends that you're talking about, you know, the the amount per, the percent of dividends that they'll spit off is relatively low to the value of the stock. Real estate can spit off a whole lot more cash flow or you know the equivalent of dividends 
at a lot a lot higher value compared to the value of the property so there's there's definitely a lot of different opportunities there but i like the real estate with the exception of 2008 like real estate values you have to really do a lot of things wrong for values to go down drastically versus you know you watch the stock market and it's like it's just up and down and up and down and up and down drives <laughs> you know you get whiplash so i think it's a different i think it's a different type of investment but it's generally a very st steady investment i don't want to use the word stable but steady and relatively predictable if you know what you're doing oh for sure and i love how you say real estate is a long learn time game because i'm sure some people are thinking that you know it's a get rich quick although there's ways to make money fast maybe wholesaling which way would you recommend is the best for the long haul nothing beats true ownership so when possible own it versus just controlling it or just trying to quick do a quick flip don't get me wrong you you know the, the fastest way to make money is probably flipping but it's also the fastest way to go broke so high risk high reward so nothing beats good old ownership you know whether it's just land actual property i mean land is not getting any bigger for the most part so values will only continue to go up it's usually tied to inflation so as the value cost of everything goes up real estate goes up and so long-term wealth is is definitely you know ownership and specifically ways to what i would call forcing appreciation so increasing value the hard way as opposed to just sitting and waiting long term there's you know waiting for market forces to to improve your value is a is almost too slow depending unless you have some you know unique knowledges or, or skill sets available to you but if you can actually take something you know rehab a bathroom or create a bathroom or create a bedroom out of thin air all of a sudden you've increased value significantly so and probably not as much work than you think it might be amazing and based off of your experience what would be the one piece of advice you'd give someone to get started go to your local RIA. that's the real estate investors association and it could be a casual group of of people you know local to you in your neighborhood it might be a more professional organization that actually has memberships and dues and, and things of that nature but just kind of going out there putting yourself in their shoes meeting other people seeing what they're doing you know not every strategy works in every location so learning to see what the locals are doing in terms of investing strategies and you just never know who you're going to meet or partner up with and there's just lots of potentially great opportunities out there Cool. So now we're going to move on to the next segment of the show where I ask every guest the same three questions. Number one, what are the two books you'd recommend an inspiring investor to read? I love numbers personally. And there is one book. Let me find it. Of course, I'm going to lose that opportunity at this moment. Um, there's there's a there's a commercial underwriting book that's out there. It's I remember I can picture it in my head. It's orange, but I can't remember the guy's name. So I'm I'm gonna lose that one. But the other thing I would say is Gap in the Game. I believe it's Benjamin Hardy. And the focusing not on your on what you have not achieved because that's just disheartening and probably not appropriate versus focusing what you have accomplished especially as you're doing it and just kind of looking looking back and saying wow i've gone from a to b and that is incredible regardless of you know everyone's journey is unique you know don't compare yourself to others don't say oh gosh well i didn't get to the end you know i didn't get to the the end of the rainbow yet like shame on me i'm a failure like that's just that's not that's 
that's not fair to yourself. And so focusing on your accomplishments, being proud of those accomplishments, no matter physically how large they are, does not matter. But you did it. And, you know, that's definitely something to be proud of. So I, I like that book as well. Cool, cool, cool. Second question. What is the most impactful speech or lesson that helped you in your real estate career? I usually butcher this quote, so I might not get it completely right, but it's failure is not loss, it's feedback. And so just realizing that you're gonna you're gonna make mistakes, things are not gonna go well. I've had plenty of downs just as well as ups in both my lifetime, you know, my W two, my my investing opportunities. Things definitely go wrong. You know, you lose money along the way, you have these unexpected expenses. And you learn from them and that's it. And then you move on and you do it again and you, you, you then just you know add on to that knowledge and it just takes you exponentially further. If you could have dinner with anyone dead or alive, who would it be and why? Hmm. Hmm. That's a toughie. I would, I really like stoic philosophy. Just something about it I find very grounding and just being steadfast and facing adversity and enduring those tough challenges. And there's a lot of stoic philosophers out there, so I don't really find it fair to pick just one. So whoever's available, whenever the reservation's open for, that's who I'd have dinner with, but definitely something <laughs> related to stoic philosophy. Stoic philosophy, interesting. And how can the audience reach you if they want to ask you any questions? Yeah, so you can probably just find me on social media. However, my bookkeeping service for landlords, Real Sense Organized, is probably the most well set up in terms of actually making appointments and, and talking to me, re out, reaching out. So that's uh, realsenseorganized.com and we'll put it in the show notes. Tom, thank you so much for joining and until next time. My pleasure. Thank you for having me. That was Tom, everybody. First and foremost, please like and subscribe and comment and rate if you like this podcast. It means a lot to me. At the beginning of the show, I told you I'd give you three actionable steps that can help you get 1% closer to your goal of buying your first real estate investment. Number one, do what Tom says. Join a Facebook group. All you got to do is type in the city that you're in or the city that you're interested in and just type in real estate or real estate investors or multifamily meetup, whatever. Type it in, join a group, start networking with people. Number two, reach out to a local contractor, maybe two or three, and see what they what they require in order to give you a bid or see what their costs are, see what they're charging per square foot. You can ask them many questions so you can start determining what a rehab cost would cost you. And number three, contact three realtors that you see often that pop up in your neighborhood. The reason why I want to do this is because they're getting listings, that means they're working hard, that means they're networking, that means that they're known in the area. And if you start building that relationship, they may start to give you pocket listings, which are just listings that come up before the market. I hope you enjoyed. I hope to see you next Wednesday.